Thank you, Ian. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's, high to, uh, it's difficult to hide the fact that I, I am passionate about football. <laughs> and this week has been interesting as a neutral, looking at uh, the Champions League semi-finals. Two English teams, two very different uh, sort of situations. Liverpool at half-time really struggling, and something happens, and they do really well. Man City, 77 minutes, looking in control, looking ready to, to get into the final and meet Liverpool. It seems like uh, they're each other's nemesis at the moment. And then uh, suddenly, within a couple of minutes, everything changes. What I'm really fascinated about is particularly uh, seeing that all those three teams have got elite managers, elite coaches managing them. I'm always fascinated thinking, what did they say at halftime? What did they say at halftime? How, how did they inspire their team? What kind of words did they use? What kind of concepts? What, what was it? that enable the players, and often you see the situation that they come out, and sometimes it's a tactical change, and most of the time it seems to be a, a sort of inspirational or encouraging um, emphasis that is being put on the players, and they come out with a sort of different attitude. What is it? I would love to be a fly on the wall sometimes in those kind of situations, thinking, what did they say? And if you read some of the biographies, you get a little bit of an insight into them. And uh, that's, that's really, really helpful. I think the Western church, or probably the church in most places around the world, is struggling with one common issue. Whether you talk to people in Europe, or you talk to people in Canada or North America... Uh, or you talk to people in other difficult parts of the world, one common struggle that we all seem to have is to see significant amounts of people come to Christ and respond to the good news. Churches can be very, very good at discipleship. Churches can be very, very good at worship. Churches can be very, very, very good at all sorts of programs but when it comes to significant amounts of regular people who don't know Jesus in our society coming to know Jesus, almost every church in most places around the world seems to be struggling. It's almost as if we're that team that is at half time and is 3-0 down. And we need a word of encouragement. And this is what I sense this morning's passage is going to talk to us about. We're going to learn from Jesus about how to live missionally. We're going to learn from Jesus that mission is possible. And learn from the very best. I, I mean, if there ever was a missions coach, I, I, I think Jesus would nail that post down. He definitely is the one that really has something to say about it. So we're continuing our journey in the Gospel of Luke, and this is what we're going to do this morning, looking at the fact that mission is possible. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read 20 verses from Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them 
two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace be to, his, to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to your feet we will wipe off against you. Yet, be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for this town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you, listens to me. He who rejects you, rejects me. But he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Jesus, after teaching the disciples, after performing many miracles in front of them, this comes to that stage in the relationship between Jesus and the disciples when this is a time for them to practice what they've seen and what they've learned. And that's why it's so helpful for us to see what Jesus instructed them to do in order for us to learn as we go on our missional journey. It starts by saying that the Luke is saying that the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him in every town and place where he was about to go. First of all, if we want to live missionally, we need to realize that we have a calling. The disciples had a calling. It says the Lord appointed them. The Lord appointed them and sent them. So many times in our lives, really honest, if you have one of those uh, evaluation sessions in your life where you're thinking, what's my life about? What am I living for? What is the ultimate aim of my life? Sometimes we can get entangled with the uh, things that we probably need to do in order to survive, in order to have a salary and put some food on the table and have some clothes on ourselves. And it seems like it's limited to that. But is there anything bigger than that? That we should be living for. And that's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. 
I've come to bring you more than just simply a run-of-the-mill life. When he recruits them, he says, I will transform you from being fishers of men, uh, fishers, simply fishing for fish, into fishers of men. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're just having a job, putting some food on the table and making an income. But now I'm going to give you something that is far more significant to you. Something that will affect other people's lives. And Jesus is saying, we have a calling. Before Jesus ascends into heaven, twice in Matthew 28, he gives the great commission where he says to every single one of his disciples, go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And if that wasn't enough as a message, just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he's saying, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As a Christian, I have a mission that is bigger, much bigger than just having a job that puts some food on the table. Gathering some resources for the pension pot. Making an investment into the future holidays that I want to have. There's a much bigger picture. And that's why Jesus is sending those disciples out. So that they don't just drift. They don't just live aimlessly. He sends them out. And it's a really important thing to grasp that we are called. We have a calling. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is recalled to be saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added unto you. In other words, Jesus is saying, get your priorities right. Live for something greater than just an income or a pension that puts some food on the table and then other things will come along. Live on mission. Live To make me known, Jesus would say to those disciples. And I think very often we know it inside of our own hearts. We are dissatisfied. And we can't quite put our finger on what it is. Sometimes you can have everything that you would have wished for. Sometimes you think, it feels like I've ticked all the boxes in my life. But there's something else missing. And I wonder if that missing factor is just that. You haven't discovered what it means to live for something greater than just you and your agenda. And that's why Jesus' call to live on mission is so incredibly significant and so powerful in this. And that's what Jesus says when he calls them. He sends them out and he appoints them and he sends them. But he doesn't just send them empty-handed. He gives them authority. It says, the Lord appointed and sent them. The Lord. That word in Greek is curious, which means the the overall ruler, the king, the one who has authority. So at the moment where we're kind of feeling really overwhelmed by this sending out, thinking, that's a tough task. 
we have this incredible encouragement because it is the Lord that sends us out. It is Jesus who sends us out. And we are the ambassadors that go in his name. And Jesus has truth. Jesus has love. Jesus has power. Whatever we don't have, he says, I have it. And as my ambassador, you are being sent with authority in my name representing me. And that's heartening to know. Because it's not as if Jesus says, now you're on your own. Here is the big task ahead of you and you're on your own. Sort it out. But thank you very much. I'm signing off from this. No. Jesus is saying, I am sending you. I am calling you. And I'm giving you authority. You're not going on your own. It's what happened with Moses. We remember that Moses was called to do an impossible task to lead his people out of Egypt. And he very relatably brings his insecurities to God time and again, every single one of them. And every single time, God is simply replying by, I, I. Whenever Moses brought his, I can't, God brought his, I can. And as Jesus' followers were being sent in this world in exactly the same way, with his authority, it says the Lord appointed the 72 others and sent them out. And that is incredibly powerful. And frankly, there's a positive and a negative side to this. The positive side to this is that whatever insecurities we might have, there's great encouragement. So whatever we can't, he can. The flip side of the coin is we don't have excuses either. If it's him that sends us out, whatever excuses we may want to find, they fade into insignificance because he can. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two. We have a team. This is so important. The kingdom of God is collaborative. The kingdom of God is never about lone rangers. The kingdom of God is not about individual superheroes that would go one by one out and come back and boast about what they can do. And again, there's something really beautiful about Jesus sending them two by two. And it's probably two sides of the coin. On one side, it is for encouragement. It's so much easier to do something when you've got somebody else that has your back and is there with you. The flip side of the coin, you can't come back and boast if there's a two of you that have gone out. Nobody can claim any credit for any success. And that's the genius of the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus. We have a team. It's right there in the trinity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're co-workers together. It's imprinted in everything in the DNA of the kingdom of God. This team, I mean, it's a poor word, but it's something that we can all relate to. But there is that sense of collaborative work together. Because the kingdom of God is about unity. And humility. And it's seen here as Jesus sends them two by two. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place. We have no limits. 
If you think about Jesus's ministry, let's be really frank. Jesus had some areas that he worked in where he was welcomed and successful and some areas that he wasn't. You'll be thinking of the situation where if Jesus was to think about the Capernaum, although there's a reference to Capernaum, he tended to be quite successful in that area. If you think about Nazareth, his own birthplace, Jesus was rejected. If you think about Gadara, again, Jesus was not welcomed and rejected. Samaria, a bit of a mixed bag, as we saw uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes a good response, sometimes not so good. But what I love about Jesus is that he's sending them out to every town and every place. Every town and every place. You know, because the kingdom of God doesn't exclude anybody. Jesus never avoids anybody. There are no no no-go areas for the message of good news of the kingdom of God. Everyone is included. There isn't a place where God says, not them, not there. It's an open invitation and there are no limits. Again, at the Great Commission that I reminded you earlier on, Jesus says, go into all the world. And that would have been a tough message for the disciples of Jesus, who would have been mainly local people. And if anything, probably fairly familiar with their nation, but to hear of everywhere. And for the Jewish mindset, it was a really groundbreaking thought, this. And then Jesus, again, as I remind you, he breaks it down in specific areas. He says, Jerusalem, Judea, and people go, yeah, yeah, we we like that, Samaria. Not so much. Ends of the earth. Silence. But that's the kingdom of God to every place and every town. And he's pointed out so powerfully in the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit is being poured out upon those who were gathered there coming from different places from all around the world as the tongues were being used by God to communicate the good news. People heard them declaring the great things of God in their own languages. Once again, is that beautiful picture that the message of God wants to get to every tribe and nation so that ultimately, if you want a postcard from the future, from heaven, you will see people in that place from every tribe and every nation. Heaven truly is a racist nightmare. Because in that place, we will have people from every place around the world. Every language and dialect, every way to dress, every favorite food type, every shade of skin color, Nobody's excluded. Everybody's invited because that's what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus is sending them out to every town and every place because we have no limits. But then Jesus says something intriguing. He says, I am sending you like lambs amongst wolves. And probably until now, the disciples would have thought we're excited about this. 
we are going with your authority. We, we are being sent. This is exciting. We're not being sent in our own strength. We have your authority. We're going with somebody else. So it's not just on our own. We can go anywhere and everywhere. But now Jesus brings some reality, much needed reality. And he's saying, I'm sending you like lambs amongst wolves. And it is simply because we can have opposition. That's the reality. And Jesus gives us some instructions about how should they should go about it, calling them to be friendly, going to live in simplicity, just rely on him, and also embrace the fact that in some places they will not be welcomed, but they should carry on. Because mission can be messy. And I love the fact that Jesus adds this bit of truth here. Because most of the time, you can go to a certain gathering uh, and, and the preacher gets excited and preaches about mission and preaches about evangelism. And people come on stage and they give you 17 interviews about success stories. And you never ever hear the other side. Some pastors in America were joking, you know, that sometimes it'd be great to have one of those conferences where, you know, you share about, you know, how much doesn't work and how much you feel like you're failing and how much Ministry is hard work because normally all you get is the highlights and never the lowlights. But Jesus is giving a sense of reality because that's how Jesus is. And he's saying not everybody will welcome you. Some will, some won't. Don't be surprised by this. Don't be discouraged by this. Don't become bitter about this. And we looked at it again a couple of weeks back. So these are the things that Jesus is saying to those disciples. He gives them all the encouragement they need. He gives them something to do. It's not just about Jesus doing everything himself. You can get to situations, and and some of you have worked for people that are your bosses. They they always want to do everything themselves. Or you're part of a team, but they want to do everything. And they don't trust anybody else. Jesus isn't like that. He's a releaser. And again, Jesus doesn't send us empty-handed, but he sends us in his name and in his authority and with his presence in our lives. He doesn't send us alone. He gives us a team that we belong to, people that can come alongside of us. And when he's sending us out, he also is encouraging us to realize that it could be tough. It might not be easy. But nevertheless, we're going to every single place possible because with jesus there are no no no-go areas anything is possible you know that at the sinking of the titanic there were two boats in the vicinity one boat was the californian who was about 20 miles away and because it was night, they just turned off their radio about 10 minutes before the Titanic hit the iceberg. They showed the rockets and the flares in a distance, but they didn't turn out the radio to investigate what's going on. They, they saw the Titanic's lights going off, and they just thought maybe they're turning them off for the night. And that's because the crew of California were in maintenance mode. And they just took some time off. But there was another ship, the Carpathia, 
58 miles away. The radio was on, and when they got the call from the Titanic that it was sinking, it powered up all the engines and headed straight, navigating around the icebergs in the night, running at full power ahead for about three and a half hours. And when the crew showed up at the scene of the disaster, many, many people had already perished, but saved 705 lives from the lifeboats. What a story. Two ways to live. Maintenance mode, shutting down, or alert and responsive. And when we read the story of Jesus and the disciples, we have exactly the same choice before us. We can go into maintenance mode, come to church, go to connect group, enjoy the worship, do your Bible reading, you know, just, just do everything apart from living on mission and sharing the good news and showing the good news to those around us who don't know it. And while that's happening, while we are in maintenance mode, people are drowning. Or we could choose to be alert, like those on board of Carpathia, who decided that they were going to be switched on. When they heard a cry, they went full power ahead and managed to rescue 705 lives. Two ways to live, options, choices, daily in front of us and what we do. Gonna ask the band to come back. Just as a simple practical reminder this morning, I want you to to go with me. I'm going to make you do something weird. You could have laughed. You know I don't make you do something weird. It might feel a bit weird, but it isn't weird. I want us to ask ourselves four questions this morning before the band lead us. In terms of living missionally. And I'm going to tell you beforehand what they are so you don't get caught by surprise. But I want us to, first of all, maybe touch our eyes. We can close them. I don't think you want to touch your eyes with them open. I don't recommend that. I'm not an eye surgeon, but I know that much. And just simply ask the Lord, Lord, what do you show me? What do you show me? You can do it now. What do you show me, Lord? Where is there a need? person is there that I need to see that I haven't seen? What is it that's happening in the world that breaks your heart that I need to see? Maybe we can be so busy or maybe we've seen a scenery so often that we fail to really see. Maybe just touch the lobes of your ears this morning and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? 
What encouragement do you want to speak to me as I want to set out on mission like the disciples? What do I need to hear from you? What words are you speaking into my insecurities and my excuses? What is it that I've heard before but haven't obeyed? Lord, speak to me. And maybe now just open your hands and just hold your palms open. And ask the Lord, Lord, what gifts have you given me? What resources that I can use to serve you and show other people your love? What is it that I have? Who is it that I am that can become an instrument in your hand? For the blessing of other people. And maybe more dramatically for some. This one would be probably more dramatic. And it could be a turning point in your life. Just put your hands on your legs. And say Lord. Where is it that you want me to go? Who do you want me to go to? Is it a different job? Is it a different area I need to move into? Is it a different country? Is it supporting some work? Is it visiting somebody? Lord, I'm just making myself available to you. And to show that, let's all stand together as Ellie and the team lead us.